We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Are you ready for rapid fire? Let's do it. All right. So, at his recent media session, Riley Leonard had this to say when he was asked about why he entered the transfer portal when he decided to leave Duke. <laughs> well, it's the portal was never really anything I, I really thought of, um, you know, until I got hurt and I was just like, you know, I got one year left of this. Uh, yeah, I'm a risk taker. My whole life, I've just been a risk taker. So I was like, "Look, I got one shot. Twenty years from now, I want to, you know, look back and say I gave it. I gave it everything I had, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I ended up here. And I think this is the best place to get me to my dream of, you know, playing in the NFL." So Riley Leonard says he's a risk taker. Jess, how much of a risk taker do you want your quarterback to be? I want my risk taker. Sorry, I want my risk taker. I want my quarterback to be a risk taker, just because. I think that's what ultimately, you know, wins wins big games. And especially, you know, in, in the sport of football, I feel like the, the quarterback is the, the biggest or, you know, it has the most impact on the game. Your quarterback has the most impact on unless you just have like this incredible defense that can stop everything, then of course you're not going to be as risk takey. But I think in college football today that you have to score points. Um and I still think there is something uh to be said about like a calculated you know, risk taker. I don't want a guy who's just closing his eyes and chucking the ball up there. You could still be a competitive, calculated risk taker. And I think for someone, it, it, for a guy, for for a program that wants to win and go to that next level, and an offense that you know struggled last season, I think you need a risk taker. I think that you know when you look at a lot of Heisman quarterbacks, the common denominator is a risk taker. You know, I, I, that's what Patrick Mahomes literally is. Just about every game. Yeah is a risk taker. He makes throws. He, you know, he does things that you, that you're traditionally not supposed to do. And that is ultimately what made him, you know, who he is. And again, 
I don't think you can, you just can't have regret when it's all said and done. I'd rather say, you know, I took some risks. I, you know, I'm willing to die or on the stone of those risks, but I, I would rather have that than regret something and be like, wow, I wish I would have, you know, done this. James says risk takers make dumb plays. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of risk yeah, but it they is. They also you know, like, win you games. That's right. You know, you just mentioned Patrick Mahomes, you know, like, He's been in the Super Bowl four times in five years. So has he ever made some dumb plays? Sure. But he has also found ways to make plays. And, you know, like Brett Favre, but, you know, like they, they, they called him a, you know, a riverboat gambler and, a, you know, gunslinger and all those different things. Like if you look at like, like if you look at Sam Hartman, for example, I think that like the mistakes that Sam Hartman made I don't think you can attribute them to necessarily taking risks. I, I, I think it was because, you know, like there was more hesitancy sometimes than anything in the kind of mistakes that he made. Look at Ian Book. Like Ian Book was not going to, you know, try to force the issue downfield. He was going to protect the ball at all costs. Now you want that in a quarterback. You don't want a quarterback who's just going to turn the ball over, obviously, willy-nilly. But there was that hesitancy, that conservative nature to Ian Book that wasn't necessarily going to push the envelope. So what you had was good, good enough at times, but it was not great. And I think that if you're willing to, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, that you're, you're, you're going to go out there and you're throwing every ball into tight windows and, you know, and, and, you know, making every ball a 50, 50 ball and seeing what your receivers are going to get you. But at the same time, think you have to live a little bit more on that edge you know risk reward and and that whole thing like if you're truly going to be able to achieve some kind of greatness I think you have to be willing to to live on that edge a little bit more sometimes I think we're together on that yeah so Leonard also discussed going up against his former Duke head coach Mike Elko when the fighting Irish open up the season against Elko and Texas A&M down in Texas. Have a listen. I thought about that when I finished. <laughs> oh, man, it's so funny texting them. Uh, yeah, he, uh, Coach Elko and I obviously have a great relationship, and we're able to joke around about the fact that we'll be playing each other. And then, of course, he brought like a lot of the Duke coaching staff with him, who I'm obviously super close with as well. So I'm going to have to get out to the game like super early and meet everybody and, you know, go crack some jokes with them but uh yeah it's this is this is gonna be a big one you know for both of our prides and uh yeah i'm excited for that so there's riley leonard talking about facing his former head coach mike elko in texas a&m who is it bigger for this this first game of the 2024 season riley leonard mike elko Whew, that's a tough one there's a lot of headlines that'll be going into this game, right? Like it, it'll be Notre Dame versus Texas A&M to start the season. And so no matter what the past record was, it's a brand new season. There's new expectations. There's new anticipation, et cetera. Um, and now you add, you know, oh, Notre Dame has Riley Leonard at, at the transfer quarterback, and he's going against his old head coach from Duke. And while there is always going to be pressure on Texas A&M because of their Texas A&M and you know I mean Jimbo Fisher got fired because he wasn't winning enough right like mm -hmm. winning there is a priority but 
Marcus Freeman's team is better built. He's in year three. He's not in year one. Notre Dame is going with a transfer portal quarterback. It is on the road. And again, they are going to be the favorite team. So I would have to believe because Riley Leonard represents Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, and everything else that's happened to this point, that there is this there is more on Riley Leonard in this situation than there is on Elko at Texas A&M. It's his first game. You know, I, I I don't know what the I don't think the expectations are quite as high for the new coach game one of his first season than it is for coach that's in his third season that chose the quarterback that he wanted to, you know, be a starter for Notre Dame. If you ask the Texas A&M alumni base, you might get a different answer. Right. <laughs> but if you ask, you know, the college football world. The spotlight is bigger at Notre Dame. It is DK said, I asked the question, who's it, who's it bigger for Riley Leonard or Mike Elko, DK with actually the proper response, Marcus Freeman. That's exactly right. Because you're loaded for bear. Now you're bringing your next transfer portal quarterback in Riley Leonard. You got another one of the best quarterbacks in the country, supposedly going on the road, opening up the season, the whole thing. And that's exactly why it's bigger for Riley Leonard, because he said in the same setting with the media last week that if he hadn't suffered that injury, he's probably getting ready for the NFL right now. And part of what this season is about for Riley Leonard, just like it was for Sam Hartman last year, is to get himself ready for the NFL, you know, but to come in and elevate his level of play by being at Notre Dame, but he's also going to elevate his profile by being at Notre Dame. But by elevating your profile, you're going to be on national TV every week, and there are going to be a lot of expectations. There are going to be a ton of expectations, most of them on Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and Riley Leonard going into this game. So it, it has to weigh more on, on Leonard than even Mike Elko. Because like you said, Elko's – it's year one. Like the alumni – the alumni probably expect immediately, you know, results – down there but season one game one compared to season three for Marcus Freeman game one there's a heck of a lot more expectations with the blue and gold we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Notre Dame quarterback, another Notre Dame quarterback, the freshman, C.J. Carr, asked his thoughts on his recruiting rankings that he had in high school over the last couple of years and if there is any extra motivation for him as a result of those recruiting rankings. And here is what C.J. Carr said to that. I I have honestly, I haven't looked at rankings for two years now as, as, um, as much as I respect the guys who do it. I don't know. Um, how well they can evaluate anyone so um no i and that you know that's the thing that i don't even think it would push me to at all because i you know i don't really care what any of them have to say anyways cj carr's response jesse is blank cj carr's response is very mature uh to be honest with you a guy that is coming in early a true freshman when you're younger it seems and this goes for any sport you know a lot of guys at any level, whether or not you're entering, you know, the, the the college realms as a freshman or you're entering the professional league as a rookie, I would say that a, a common error. And even me, myself, a rookie of the Irish breakdown uh, team is you get caught up on what other people say about you at times. And really, it doesn't matter. Right. Because you are at you are at your end goal. You know, CJ Carr's end goal was to play quarterback at Notre Dame. You know, my end goal is to provide good content on the show. Other guys, you know, uh, basketball players want to be great, you know, rookie players and potentially win rookie of the year, right? And so often I feel like these these younger players, uh, podcasters, whoever get caught up, again, with what everyone else is, you know, saying. And I just think it's a very mature uh, route to say, you know what, I'm just going to focus on my goals, what I'm trying to accomplish, and really all the outside noise isn't going to phase me. Yeah, I mean, it was a great response. And like, he's been committed or he had been committed for a couple of years. So, you know, the recruiting rankings, that's when his ranking started, excuse me, to change after his commitment to, you know, and like people can blame it on, well, it's Notre Dame bias and all that kind of stuff. It's not as much Notre Dame bias. It's because he's committed and was so steadfast in his commitment, there is less reason for these recruiting services to hype him as opposed to other quarterbacks. You know, that's part of how the game is played. Other people who are still subscribing to that stuff. But it also reminds me a little bit, because you know, because like you said, he is at his end goal now. He has signed on the dotted line. He is at Notre Dame. None of that stuff matters anymore. But like the Kyle Hamilton stuff it just amazes me how like bitter so many Notre Dame fans of of Kyle Hamilton still are about you know this this whole oh like Kyle Hamilton was slighted in the draft process or whatever the guy was still selected 14th overall he was still the first round pick still selected right in the middle just outside the top 10 but people act like he was a fifth round pick and, you know, like every team passed him over eight times or something. <laughs> he was still the like 14th that. best player in the draft. 
Right. He was the 14th best player in the draft, but people are like, oh, I can't believe the hate Kyle Hamilton got. Look, Kyle Hamilton selected in the first round, performing like a first round pick and all pro this year. Can't we just be happy with that? Why does it have to be? Oh, you know, like, like, I don't need the that logic. Anyone who wasn't selected number one overall should just be bitter for the rest of their <laughs> career that they weren't selected number one overall because by nature, they were passed on by somebody. I just get over it, you know? And it's, just, you know, again, CJ Carr is obviously over any of these recruiting rankings and, and such. And it's like, just deal with that. Seeing like the JOK situation was a little different, Octavia, uh, be, because of the fact that there were, there you know, like health issues heart. that were tied to, you know, like different, you know, things about his health and stuff like that that were tied to it. But, you know, he's going to make a lot of money here pretty soon when he gets his second contract. You I know, was going to say, like, decent money. But. And that's the thing, like, that's, I think JOK is a perfect example because, you know, he could have been bitter and frustrated about where he got selected and falling to the second round. But in my eyes, he fell into a great situation and he's a tremendous linebacker for the Browns. I mean, look mm -hmm. at what he did in that playoff game, even though they lost, like he was, he did exactly what he did at Notre Dame. He could play in the pass. He could blow up runs in the backfield. He can make one-on-one yeah. -on -one tackles on the perimeter. He can use his speed. Like that's got to be motivation for him. And now CJ Carr, you know, the motivation was to get here and now it's just time to focus on him and you know what his goals are moving forward. Getting better. Yeah, that's right. And he seems like he's got a really good attitude about the whole thing. And the fact that you know, he comes from the kind of football family that he comes from, I'm sure helps with a lot of that, you know, like keeping the priorities right. And, you know, it's like, he's not coming in here, like talking about how he's going to light the world up this spring. He's, you know, talking more about the fact that he's one of four quarterbacks in the room and he's got a lot to learn and he's got some good guys that he can go out there and, and learn from and compete with in the whole thing. So yeah, and I think Salty brings up a good point, you know, and it, not just the NFL, but it's always situational. What position is at your need? Not a lot right. of teams need a really good safety. And so it's like if you're not in need of a secondary player, maybe you need offensive linemen. Maybe right. you need a wide receiver. And so it's not only best player, but it's also, you know, positional best player for what that team needs. Oh, that's a great point because safety is, you know, a lower priority. You know, what are, what are the top – the Top 10, you know, like if you're going to be a top 10 pick, typically, you're either going to be a quarterback, an edge rusher, or a left tackle. You're either the quarterback, someone who can sack the quarterback, or someone who can protect the quarterback. So again, like the fact that he even ended up number 14 being a safety really speaks pretty well of him because he still went pretty high for his position. Yeah, and it's like you look at, I mean, Sauce Gardner went ahead of him. Uh, and, you know, that's not even that's a corner. Singletary went ahead of him. The, the only thing that you can potentially poke holes at is teams who like went with that same position and that, you know, that player didn't didn't necessarily pan out. Yeah. So some news today. Bill O'Brien is apparently ready to leave Ohio State as where he just was hired recently as offensive coordinator to become the head coach back in his hometown at Boston College. So which is the better job, being the offensive coordinator at Ohio State or the head coach at Boston College? Um, Honestly, excuse me. Uh, I would say personally Ohio State, being assistant coach at Ohio State, 
if I were going to be a head coach, I wouldn't want to take on the potential undertaking of, you know, what Boston College might be. And especially with kind of current, current, you know, college football <laughs> landscape. And, you know, it's funny because I think Bill O'Brien's ego is getting in his way in this situation. I think he has too big of an ego to not be the head guy. And so rather than be someone who has to follow along at Ohio State, he'd rather, you know, be the head coach somewhere in a not as ideal situation. That's just my personal thought. Now, I didn't realize, I just saw this today, that Boston, like he is from that area. So, you know, like how much that factors in. Yeah. I don't know. But But his time hasn't been the same ever since, you know, he was a bad NFL head coach. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, that's just the honest fact of the situation. And so to me, I think he's chasing back his own ego of saying, I can be a head coach again, which that's your aspiration. That's fine. But I just think that it's a lot more work at Boston College. And I think you can have more success at Ohio State and potentially get, you know, a better gig, like kind of like Tommy Reese, right? Like continue to do a couple things for, you know, some good teams for a few years. And then you might get your shot again at an NFL or a better, you know, college head coaching position. Just feels like, He's chasing this while also chasing his ego. Bill O'Brien, because of the background that he had, had a much better chance, I think, of landing a higher tier power five job had he stayed at Ohio State rather than take a job like this. Because I I said this when we were talking about Jeff Halfley last week. I just think that it's it's not just Halfley, you know, like he he gave his reasons and he talked about NIL and recruiting and all these different things. I just I just feel like the Boston colleges, the Indianas, the Maryland's, you know, all these different the Wake Forest, the Dukes of the world. Like maybe you can have one or two good years, but I just feel like because of what NIL has become, it is a much, much steeper uphill climb to try to make those teams consistent winners or even winners for you know more than one season in a row, even if it's not consistent, you know, multiple to have multiple winning seasons because you're just being poached in terms of players for NIL, for all these different things. I just think that it's going to continue. It's, it's always been hard because of the kind of resources that go into these lower level power five jobs. I just think it's going to be even harder. Like they are just fortunate you know, like Indiana, especially Indiana and Purdue are so fortunate to be part of the big 10 where they're getting these big TV rights checks cashed compared to Boston college who of course, ACC lower end, you know? So I, I just, I, I don't feel like this is, is ultimately probably the career move that you want to be making. If you're a guy like Bill O'Brien, when you had a chance to be at a premier high profile type power five job going, going, going to where you're going. Cause I just think it's, I just think it's going to be tough for anyone to win at that level going forward because of what NIL has become and the way, you know, players obviously are swapping around so quickly from year to year. Yeah. I mean, half the battle is your name is going to get your foot in the door. Yeah. And I don't think if you're Boston college right now, your foot is getting you in the door, it's getting slammed in the door. And now you got a a stub toe that hurts. (laughs) DK says, I don't care if it hurts Ohio state, I'm in favor. Well, Unintended consequences, you don't know who they're going to end up getting, you know, so that's part of it as well. There's always, always that ripple effect, but 
fill in the blank. It's blank that USC head coach Lincoln Riley says he could see resting players for a game at the end of the regular season if he's undefeated and has a spot locked up in the expanded 12-team playoff field. To me, it's unnecessary. And the reason why I say, like Lincoln Riley saying this is unnecessary is it, I just feel like it's unnecessary to already start this dialogue. Like we should wait until we get to the situation, the right. games play themselves, because now we're already planting seeds for ideas when it wasn't even you know thought about, brought up, etc. And it's like, like it's 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 not the NFL in my opinion, because especially once you get down towards the end at the college in the college football season, I feel like that that last one loss could be the difference between a three seed and like a 10 seed and that could be the potential of you know getting an at large or and, and hosting a game or potentially being you know maybe a, what i would call a wild card team you know mm-hmm. a lower seed and so it, right because like when you get to the end you're going to be a bunch of one loss and two loss teams so if you're already a one loss team or undefeated team and now you're dropping into the category of the one loss or the two loss i feel like you're only you know hurting yourself in the seeding and a potential better matchup for yourself so Again, I just feel like it's really unnecessary to get into this conversation because it's all situational, right? And so I feel like we shouldn't have this conversation until the situation itself is, you know, upon us. Not to mention the fact that if you are that team, like if you're USC, as an example, or Michigan or Ohio State or whoever it happens to be, and you're sitting in that position at the end of the regular season, one you're probably talking about a rivalry game because that's where all the rivalry games tend to be right, right. now at the end of the regular season. So, like, are you going to sit your best players in a rivalry game and risk losing to a rival? Like Ryan Day, he's got enough problems beating Michigan right now. Does you know Is he going to sit a bunch of guys on top of that, for example? I mean, again, I realize it was Lincoln Riley that said this. But, two, just what you're talking about, there's still going to be seating on the line and the, the the chance to host a game and not just be in the playoff. But if you're undefeated, you're probably, you know, you're also talking about you're going to play in a conference championship game unless you're Notre Dame. So, yeah, I agree. I, I think it is cart way ahead of the horse on this. I, I thought it was interesting that he brought that up. He actually brought this up on the Pat McAfee show when he was asked about you know essentially do you do you coach different at the end of the season depending on how things are going you know with an eye toward the college football playoff potentially and that's what he brought up so I think that that is a uh, a whole can of worms that uh, he doesn't even want to be thinking about right now but he went there Fill in the blank. It's blank that the NFL has announced a week one game in Sao Paulo, Brazil next season where the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be the home team in a Friday night game. Week one His head scratching. I've understood, you know, these these games and I think they've done like Germany. They've done London. Um, I guess I, I don't <laughs> in Southern American countries. Soccer is the predominant sport. And so I guess I just didn't realize that there is um, a football fan base down there in Brazil. And then one, like if, if they're already announcing that it's the Eagles, you'd have to assume that the Eagles are the most popular team down in Brazil. Right. And so, you know, I'm all for these, these professional leagues, whether it's the NBA, the NFL, 
um, MLB, you know, expanding their viewership and, and allowing the game to reach different parts of the world. But to me, it's just really head scratching that Brazil was the choice for the NFL because, again, I just don't know how much organized football is really being played down in Brazil because they're national. Everyone bleeds soccer down there. And so I, I guess, again, it's, it's it's a little confusing to me, but there's got to be some sort of, you know, reasoning for it. They're not just going to well, make this whole event for nothing. Yeah. I mean, they want to, they want to sell football. They want to sell jerseys and t-shirts and sweatshirts. And well, maybe not as many sweatshirts in Brazil, but you get the point. Like they want to sell, they want to market the NFL to different parts of the world. So they're taking it to Brazil. They've never played a game in Brazil before it's the Friday night thing that I find interesting because you know, they've always said that they're not going to play on Friday night because it's high school night. And now they've got a chance to make a little extra money and Roger Goodell is going to shop a football an NFL football game on a Friday night down there in Brazil. You know, it's supposedly going to be the only one, but one is always going to lead to two. There'll be more ultimately, but you know, that's, like to answer your question, they want to market the NFL to the world, and they want to get into as many untapped markets yep. as possible, and they'll they'll continue to do that. I do think it is, as John Christophic says, a little bit silly, especially the Friday night thing is a bit silly to me. That they should have done it in Mexico City. I want to see if footballs also fly at, at elevation. Well, they've played in Mexico City before, so I think that that's you know. Again, My favorite is when the MLB goes to Mexico so. City. It's it's just it's damn near playing home home run derby in uh-huh. T-ball parks. Uh-huh. Bryce wants to know which of the Super Bowl teams has more Notre Dame players. Ooh, I think I know this one. It's one apiece. It's one apiece. Chiefs and 49ers. Do you know who they are? Uh, Chiefs, obviously tranquil, and isn't uh, Banks the center for the 49ers? Yes, but actually, Ian Book's on the four or on I the Chiefs. Say, I think Ian Book is a practice he's, squad. He's, player yeah, he's an active. He's not on the active roster. Yeah. So technically, two Chiefs, one 49er. Yeah, Ian Book is with the Chiefs. He in uh, yeah, just last month signed a futures deal. Um. Basically, practice squad player. So what we're so, getting at is they believe that Ian Book plays quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. So that's why he's <laughs> on the team. Right. Haven't seen him being promoted this year like they promoted him last year when he was in Philly. <laughs> Do you remember when they randomly rolled him out? Did the Saint the Saints rolled him out in that Thursday night game? Oh man, that was and bad. he was just miserable. I mean, couldn't really blame the guy because like what is he supposed to do? But like he was just bad that whole game. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. Not good for Ian Book. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do you buy or sell just getting to the Super Bowl as already being a win for Patrick Mahomes this season? Um, This is a big sell for me. Patrick Mahomes has already won a couple of Super Bowls, lost a couple of, lost a couple of Super Bowls. 
and is already in the conversation of, you know, greatest player of all time. He's already being, whether you believe it or not, there are conversations and segments with Patrick Mahomes being compared to Tom Brady. And when you're being compared to Tom Brady, what is it going to boil down to? Super Bowl rings. At this point, it's no longer, you know, oh, a good statistic. If you're Patrick Mahomes to make the Super Bowl, you are just like Brady. Every time Brady made it to the Super Bowl, the expectation was that Brady was going to win the Super Bowl. If you want to be compared with the best, then you got to, again, you got to have similar numbers. So I think he's got to continue to win, you know, all of these Super Bowls. I don't think the expectation is just getting there. It's it's winning at this point. Yeah, I'm surprised sort of the way it's been framed with him getting there as, you know, just it, it's it's it seems like when you start to hear hear people talk like it's a foregone conclusion that the 49ers are going to win and all this different stuff and you know, look, I realize the Chiefs receivers are as bad now as Patrick Mahomes has ever had, but he still has Travis Kelsey. He won a Super Bowl last year without Tyreek Hill. They're back in the Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill. You know, there's already, again, like people talking about, oh, Travis Kelsey's going to retire. You know, look, he's slowing down a little bit, but he's still look like, look at, look at where they are. And the other thing is what is completely overlooked about this Chiefs team and beyond just Patrick Mahomes, the two reasons they won, one, they have Patrick Mahomes, two, they have the best defense that they have right. had since Andy Reid has been in Kansas City. And that's what not enough people are talking about is this defense. And so I completely sell this as well. It's not just getting there, because if you want to start talking about, is he the greatest all time? It's it's not just getting to the Super Bowl with whatever. Like, really, this was a more Brady-esque type, you know, getting to the Super Bowl. Well, like and that's what I think. Brady, you know, like before Gronk and all that stuff, the supporting cast that Brady had more times than not was not that great. And that's the kind of team that Mahomes has gotten there with, with, with just, you know, with the exception of Kelsey, a relatively average skill position group on offense, but a really good defense, which was the other thing that was overlooked so much about, you know, the, the New England Patriots was how good those defenses were. Yeah. And that's what I was ultimately going to get at. Like, Brady didn't have, I mean, he had some good, <laughs> Brady a couple of years was thin at, you know, the wide receiver position, but he also had Gronk. He also had Randy Moss. He also had, you know, he had guys that were ultimately good at the end, just like Patrick Mahomes. He's had Tyreek Hill. He's had Tri- Travis Kelsey. But le- I think the thing that often gets brought up, oh, Brady did it with, you know, guys that were bums essentially, but it's like, he also had really good defenses that he could rely on. Those mm-hmm. Patriot defenses, like these, I feel like the, the best thing that you said there was this Chiefs team is like almost identical to those Patriot teams. Really good quarterbacks, really good coaches, and then really solid defenses to fall back on if right. you know an issue does arise. And I, again, Travis Kelsey didn't have as productive as a regular season as you might like, but in the playoffs, he's averaging eight catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown a game. Like, that's – he's showing up when it matters the most. And I think that is, you know, that is Patrick Mahomes' security blanket. And then anything that they can get out of Rasheed Rice, 
that's like the exclamation. That is what ultimately is going to take them out, you know, over the top because you know what you're going to get out of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. But when you can get extra and you can squeeze that, you know, whatever you can get out of Rasheed Rice, that's what's going to take you to the next level. And that's what they were missing throughout the entire season. They just needed someone to step up and be like, I'm going to yeah. be the guy to catch the ball other than Travis Kelsey consistently. I will line up on sides. I it wasn't going to be Kadarius Tony. Yes. Right. <laughs> I will just literally catch the ball that you put in my hands every time. That's all that, that they've been asking for. And Rasheed Rice, that's what he's been doing. And so like that also is, right. you know. A big success. And when you have Patrick Mahomes and you have Travis Kelsey, who have been there before, because that's the other yeah, thing. Like the experience. These two teams only played four years ago. There are only 19 players in total from the two rosters combined who played in that Super Bowl four years ago. So the experience that, that Mahomes and Kelsey have together means – Maybe more than anything else that's going to happen on that field Sunday night. Agreed. All right, so Nicole Auerbach covers college football and basketball for The Athletic. The other day she tweeted that quarters, which are used in women's college basketball, are better than halves, which are used in men's college hoops. Do you buy or sell it? I buy 100% that quarters are better than halves. College men's basketball is the only form of basketball that uses halves. The NBA uses quarters. High school uses quarters. Women uses quarters. I just think that halves make the game extreme, not extremely, but in comparison, more boring. It takes longer. I feel like that it is not. Game flow is so much better with quarters. Yes. You can break it up, right? You can. Um, there's more, you know, there's more time out. And then also what I like is the, 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 the foul situation resets at the beginning of every quarter. You're not, you know, you're not restricted to, you know, the X amount of fouls and getting into the bonus in the halves, like you are, you know, in comparison to the NBA and the women's game, I just think the game flow is better. The game goes by better and the game is more entertaining and a better product when it's broken up into quarters. It gets stagnant in, in halves. Right. Thanks for the super chat, Anthony. The only thing that I question is like if if the men if men's college basketball were going to go to quarters, just what you talked about, like with the fouls, would you reset the fouls? Because they don't in the NBA, they don't in high school either. But those levels also play with, you know, quarters and not just halves, unlike men's college basketball. Like do you have to reset the fouls the way the women's game does? You have you don't have one and one in uh, in the women's game. In the women's game, the limit is five fouls per quarter. Once you get to five, it's two shots all the way. But again, I think that helps speed up the flow of the game because you you know you don't have all the extra jostling and you know like resetting and all that stuff after you shoot the front end of the one and one, if he makes it, you know, and then you, you go back and then you shoot the second one. So I don't like, would you want to see the fouls reset? Would you want to keep the one and one, or would you want to just do that the um, same with the women's as well? Because I agree with everything that you're saying, like game flow standpoint, there's a reason everybody else, literally everybody <laughs> else except men's college basketball is playing with quarters. The end again, the NBA does, High school boys and girls do, international men and women do, but for whatever reason, the men's college game is still stuck with halves. 
Yeah, I would I would like the the foul situation to be similar to the women's just because you are what's the best way to put it? College players are still amateurs and they're going to there's going to be more fouling just because of naturally not being as skilled as mm-hmm. NBA players. And so I think naturally, you know, when you get into the NBA, it's professional for a reason. Like those fouls shouldn't reset. You should be able to guard better. You know, like you're a professional NBA player. Or in your college, not everyone's, you know, there's a lot of amateurs at that level. And so the last thing, I, me personally, I hate when college games come down to so many free throws and refs at the end and, you know, all these fouls and et cetera. I, I lean more on, Let's just keep the game moving. Not as many one and ones. And yes. again, don't we don't need to um, not reset for that reason because it's just you're going to get so many fouls built up. I feel like, and that's the last thing I want to see. I hate when games are determined or steered by referees. I agree. I completely agree. And uh, I think that the you know like there there are still some things in the women's game that you know like just. The flow of the game, I think, is the biggest thing. The flow of the game. The way the game flows. And, like, when you look at, you know, again, I think you're you're cutting down on some of the extra jostling and things like that. You're, you know, you're preventing, you know, some of that excess contact that you really don't need. I, th- I, think, it, I think it would clean a lot of stuff up in the men's game. But for whatever reason, they're still resistant to it right now. All right, well, that's going to do it for tonight. Anthony, again, appreciate your super chat. I'll be off and on the road tomorrow. Jesse and Vince will be here doing a little mailbag action on Wednesday. There will be a show on Thursday, and we'll be back on Friday as well with the Super Bowl props and uh, some other rapid-fire type stuff on the Friday show. Remember, Fridays we start at 5 o'clock Eastern time. Hit the like button before you leave, and of course, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Jesse, enjoyed it as always. I will talk to you later. See ya. We'll talk to everybody else later as well. Ivy Nation Sports Talk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.